Welcome to Perry's Leadership Couch. Either you're thinking of firing all your employees, locking yourself in the bathroom to scream in disbelief, or starting up your own business and have not slept in the last month, we have the stories from the people who are there or have been there. This is your dose of leadership excellence and survival. All right. Well, welcome to Perry's Leadership's Couch. I am here with Mr. Greg Oh, Killstrom. Did I kill that? Did I, did I, did I, no, you got that? it. You got it. I got, aha. All right. Good. Yeah. Saturday morning with my second cup of coffee. Now, Greg and, and I just had a little chat before the podcast, like we usually do. He's a great guy. Um, his background is, well, let's start off first with the fact that he has a sickness. He's a serial entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And, and that is, that is a blessing and a disease all at once. And, he started his entrepreneurial journeys after college back in, you know, before the 2000s uh, uh, hit. So that's back when the tech boom was going on and, and had an ad agency and and now is into another venture. So just based off of what I know, he's he's gone through this ringer at least three times. And I think it's going to be an amazing talk just to talk about uh, how he got started. So. I guess, Greg, the first thing I think people are gonna gonna wonder is what in the world possessed you to join that first startup company? Considering you know it's a startup, it's risky. Yeah, yeah. Well, first, thanks for thanks for having me today. Looking looking forward to to this um, chat. So, yeah, I think so. I was the first company that I joined. It was late nineties, uh, the first internet boom. So there was a lot of of buzz around, you know, what is this, uh, the information superhighway they called it right back, back in the day. So, um, you know, I was, I was basically fresh out of college. I, I had a job, uh, out of college. I went to school for photography back in the day when they actually had dark rooms and this was like pre digital photography even, but yeah, at the, my last year, last couple of years, I just got, I, I caught the, the bug, so to speak of, what was going on with the web and taught myself HTML and, and was just really, really wanting to get into it. But I also wanted to just get out of school. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to study anymore. I really wanted to just kind of get, get out there and get my hands dirty. So I got a job, uh, first job internship at a print magazine um, and just doing design, but I convinced them to make a website. And so I, I got a little experience there. And then, you know, I was, I was actually seeking out working for a startup because I was excited about uh, what was happening back then. So um, found a good opportunity at, at a job that I will say I was barely qualified to do when I first started. Uh, but, you know, by the end, by the end of my time there, I was their head of product design and worked closely with the marketing team as well as the the technology team, learned a lot of stuff. We basically we invented our own kind of programming a language for the web and, and stuff like that, just to do some of the things that simply weren't possible in the, you know, late nineties, early two thousands. But along the way, um, learned the the concept of pivoting. Um, so I would say they, they pivoted a bit too much. Uh, yeah. And they raised a, you know, they raised about $11 million. So certainly successful in that, on that front, but uh, you know, pivoted a bit too much trying to find their way and, ended up running out of money like so many so many companies like them and 
So I, along with about 50 others, were basically laid off on on the same day and uh, all of a sudden kind of facing what in the world do I do with my life? So, um, yeah. you know, just that that actually was my first foray into into freelancing and then, uh, you know, just kind of spurred me on to, to entrepreneurship. So, so you joined you joined that company basically shortly, shortly after college and, and your first job. And again, you, you, like you said, you joined completely unqualified, but back in the nineties, you know, for the younger generation listening here, everybody in it was unqualified. The joke was, if you did it once, you're the expert. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, I, I knew how to write HTML. So I was a web designer, you know, these days it's like, you, you can go to college to be a web designer. Back in the day, it was just, okay. I made three websites and two of them were made up companies or whatever, but you know, they liked what they saw. So that's, uh, so I got it. Yeah. Yeah. You're the, you're the pro. And uh, so you, you joined in there and, and, and you managed to learn enough and, and help the company enough to where you were, you were the head of product design. How, how was that journey? How did you go about learning things considering, you know, again, the nineties, we, we didn't, we, you know, we didn't have Google. We, we, well, I mean, technically I think we did, but it was, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was all yeah, to be exactly. said, but yeah. Um, yeah, web crawling. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's that's kind of that set me on a path to where I am today. I would say is just how do you learn something that it's it's difficult to to find, and even even in the era of Google, I often wonder. I'm just kind of the I'm the kind of person that I'm gonna I'm gonna figure it out, or I'm gonna find it, or or stuff like that. And I often wonder others that. Google is like right there and it's available. Like you can ask it pretty much any question you want and, and it's there and available. And so it sometimes frustrates me when others don't realize that and, and you know, they're asking other people or, or trying to figure stuff out and, and struggling when usually the answers are there. But yeah, I mean, back, back before that, I mean, even, you know, Google was um, a, a twinkle in someone's eye, but there was, you know, there was those other search engines and you could find stuff, but it was certainly the wealth of content simply wasn't what it was, what it is now. And YouTube didn't exist until what, 2004. So we were several yeah. years away from, I mean, YouTube, I think literally everything exists on it. But um, so it was a lot of trial and error. I mean, I would say at at the the startup, it was called Multicity at the startup, we were able to get a million, a community of about a million users. And through, uh, I mean, this was early days, grassroots digital marketing, had a, so a really talented team that was basically just making stuff up as they went along and figuring stuff out. I mean, advertising on the web was barely a thing. I mean, there was a couple companies like advertising.com and, and maybe one or two others that you could buy banner ads, but that was really not a, a common thing. Google AdWords, like search advertising wasn't really a thing. So we were, you know, we were making it up as we go and just tr constantly looking at, at our competition and, okay, well, what are they doing over here? And so it was, it was, yeah, in interesting. Well, and, and one thing that, that I want just to put even some more context into it in the nineties, there were people who thought AOL was the internet. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like they, they didn't know that you had a browser and you could search outside of AOL's ecosystem. They thought AOL, literally thought AOL, that is everything the internet had to offer. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I, I was one of those guys at one point when I was going in, you know, before I went to college, when I was still a little bit younger, I, I thought that was, that was all there was, you know, is AOL had everything. You got your chat rooms, a couple of websites. <laughs> yeah. Well, and certainly their, that was their business model, which was very successful to a point. And then, you know, then people kind of realized that there was a there was a bigger. But I I will say even today, there are people that think Facebook is is the internet. So I think <laughs> any sticky platform like that. I mean, again, I that that's a kudos to them for you know for for accomplishing that. I guess on the one hand, but uh, but yeah, no, I, I agreed. It was it was difficult to kind of get people off of some of those platforms at the time. So, so you're working there and obviously you're, you're doing good. You're head of product development. You're, you're in one of these companies that's a startup that's getting funded. So you're, you're living, you're feeling pretty good about yourself, you know, and then you show up to work one day and, and you discover that you and everybody else around you now no longer has a job. How, how did that feel? What, what, what did you go through when that happened? Well, I mean, I would say the, the writing was kind of on the wall as, as far as, uh, you know, we saw, we we were actually one of the ones that that held on longer than than a number of others. I mean, there were, there's some notorious like Pets.com, and you know, there's some notorious companies that just they they went really really big, and then they they just kind of flamed out um, very quickly. And you know, there there was a website I for uh, I, I won't swear on your podcast, but eftcompany.com <laughs> was actually the one that you you would literally watch it daily. You know, in 2001, 2002 just to see, uh, you know, who, which of your competitors were going out of business. And, um, it was kind of a tongue in cheek, um, writing style as well, which was amusing, but it was also just kind of, wow, are we going to be next or are they going to hear some rumor about us? So, you know, in, in a sense, we saw the, we saw the writing on the wall, but, um, you know, we did the, the owners, I will give them a lot of credit. They, they used the money wisely as, you know, as wisely as they could. They just, there just wasn't a, a, a business model fit, but, you know, feeling that, that day where it still was a surprise in the sense of, I didn't know it was coming that day and, and stuff. So yeah, it was scary. I mean, I was, you know, early, early twenties, I uh, didn't know what I was going to do next. I had rent to pay. I had credit card bills and, you know, all those kinds of things. So really just didn't know what to do next and, and felt immediately I felt, wow, I don't want to ever be in this situation again. So what do I, what can I do to gain some control and some agency in my life to, so that I'm not here in a year from now at another company that says, Oh, well, you know what? We ran out of money. So that's, that's kind of what was going through my head. (laughs) So, so did you, so when, how long did it take you to to move into that next job and then what did you do to make ends meet while you were maybe next job or, or your next startup like how did you handle that financially and that that transition and and everything that goes along with you know losing your income and 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 having to start to build something uh, from where you're at yeah so i started freelancing uh almost immediately i mean i think fortunately so i mean there was a lot of talented people. I mean, they, they may have done several things wrong um, at the company, but they hired really smart people. And so that my first real introduction to the power of having a network was really with some of my coworkers that were also laid off. And so, 
you know, some of them, uh, particularly the more senior people than me, I was still, you know, a relatively junior level person in, in the company. The more senior people, they had some great connections at other companies. They were getting some work, but they needed some design help or some marketing help. So I just kind of, I got work kind of piecemeal for a little while and started freelancing and got eventually within about a year and a half or so got so busy that I was not only working full time as a freelancer for various companies, but I was, I was faced with the, the, um, opportunity to either, either I've got to start turning down work cause I just, I don't have any more hours in the day or do I start bringing on some other people to help me and therefore starting a, a small company of my own. And I, I chose the latter. I partnered with a few people and um, started my uh, what became a, a, a marketing agency, Carousel 30, um, back in 2003, end of 2003. So that really kind of, that was my first foray into, into entrepreneurship. And, and what do you mean by partner? Did you, did you start up an LLC? You split it three ways? Like, how, how, did, how did you partner with them? Yeah, so I um, made the the <laughs> wise decision to partner with um, a, it was it was two couples. So it was my me and my now ex wife. I'll spoil that that ending there, um, as well as <laughs> another uh, a, a buddy of mine from college and and his wife. So um, I will say, don't do what I did, but I still I'm friends with all of them. They're actually were you know we, we talk still and. And all that, so it wasn't that kind of ending. But um, for for many reasons, I, I would not recommend doing that. But yeah, so you know, I partnered with people that I knew and trusted, and you know that that part I would still stand behind. But um, and we all had different roles to play. So you know, one the uh, my college friend, he was good at sales and and some other things. I was good at the the execution and the design and marketing and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we had project management and then the financial and accounting. So it was, it was actually a good mix of, of roles and, and skills. And so, um, you know, we did that for, for a couple of years um, before I ended up actually buying them all out. Um, we all kind of went our separate ways, but I, I retained ownership of the, of the company and then kind of took it to, uh, it w- that was sort of the friends and, and okay, we're, we're buddies. We're going to, we're going to do what we like and, and try to make this work phase. And then I really took it to, uh, okay, I got to grow up and, and really build this into a business if I'm going to be sustainable and, and stuff like that. And that's, that's when I really got serious. I would say about, about the company is, is when I, when I took it over and, um, and just really tried to start growing it. It sounds, it sounds like, everybody was trying to make money in their own way. And then when they had time, they worked at the company. <laughs> Is that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of us worked a little bit more than others on it, but yeah, it was, it was a, it was a much more loose relationship, um, you know, a business relationship than certainly than it, than it turned into, you know, a few li- years later where there were roles, responsibilities, salaries, and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I mean, to be honest, I, I saw what I saw from a from a business perspective when I was at the startup, but I really, I mean, you know, my my dad when I when I um, when I was four years old, he started his own company, which really at at most was three people, including himself. So he was really an independent um, sales rep. So I, you know, to me, actually, it was normal to be a, a freelancer or entrepreneur and and stuff, but I never really had that corporate. Uh, that corporate experience or anything. So, you know, in a sense, again, just like with the the startup, I was kind of making up what a company looks like on my, on my own. 
<laughs> yeah. And, and so what, what triggered the decision where you said, okay, look, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to buy the company. Um, and, and we'll all go all merry ways and, and be friends. And I'm going to build this into an actual company. What triggered that in you? Yeah. I mean, I think it was, it was a sense of, it, it probably would have been just as easy to say, you know what, let's just fold the thing. And I mean, you know, for personal reasons, everyone, um, everyone decided to go separate ways from, uh, from that standpoint. Um, but, um, from, from a standpoint of me holding on to the company, I just, I realized again, I, when, when faced with, do I really want to go back to a full-time job and, and work for another company where I'm, I'm going to have less control, at least, at least with, with the company, I, whether successful or not, I had control over my own destiny. And so I figured, okay, you know what? We've built some brand equity. We'd been around for a couple of years at that point, built some brand equity, had some recurring business and, and clients. I was just like, I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to this. And, and yet I also knew that I wanted more stability at that point in my life where I didn't want it to just be a casual thing. I didn't want it to be where, um, I, I wanted to grow and I wanted to see what I could do as a, as a, as a true entrepreneur and, and grow and build with, with employees and, and expand and, and have more stability because, uh, you know, with, with a broader client base and more service offerings and, and stuff like that. So what, what were the first couple of things that you did when, so you've got this thing, you've bought it, it's yours. Now you're sitting, you're sitting there with the, with the hot potato that generates a little bit of money. And uh, so what was your, what was your next step? <laughs> Yeah, so I reached out and found partners that did everything that I either couldn't do, um, didn't really want to do, or um, it would just be more efficient for someone else to do. So, you know, that I mean, that includes everything from accounting and, and bookkeeping to delivering work that I just I wanted to I wanted the work to be more sophisticated as well. So, you know, finding partners that could actually deliver on a higher quality of work and, and, um, and also just more people to do the work so I could handle a a higher workload. And so one of the, uh, one of the companies that I worked with, I ended up actually acquiring. So I I started working, um, heavily with a, a web development company, um, and ended up, they did a great job, really liked working with them. And within a year and a half, I actually acquired the company and therefore, you know, we expanded then from it was it was just me for about a year or so um, at the company with a lot of contractors and subcontractors and, and stuff like that. We then in 2000, uh, 2008 um, acquired the company, which, um, you know, later that year, um, I was uh, the financial crisis hit and everything like that. But, you know, that summer I acquired the company. So we became about six people um, overnight as opposed to one and really, you know, started started on a, on a good foot and, um, you know, really started growing. And then, you know, then the, the financial crisis hit and, and we were in a, in a, in a different place for a little bit. So it's like, it's like it followed you. So the, the first financial crisis hit, then you get laid off and then you start up your own company, you start getting serious about it. And then the financial crisis goes, ah, you thought you were doing good. And, right, right. <laughs> and it goes after you again. So now that you know, obviously you're mad at the market at the, at this point, what did you do to get through that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's with, with 2001, 2008 and now 2020, it's like now, uh, you know, having been through three of these, uh, you know, you can see how there's some kind of regularity to it. You, you never know exactly what it's going to be or how it's going to hit. But, you know, at the time, 
like I said, we had just grown and, and we, by the time 2009, early 2009 rolled around, because it took a little while to really affect us. I mean, I think the housing markets and, and some other, the financial markets were immediately hit, but the companies marketing themselves and which is really where we were at, it didn't really hit, like reality didn't really hit until early 2009. And so we had hired a couple more people. So we were we were about ten people um, in early two thousand nine when when it really started hit and hitting. And I would say the the starkest contrast was the phone just didn't ring. You know, we didn't get inquiries for new work for probably you know tangibly the first uh, six months of the year. But I would say the first three months literally crickets every day. And we were, you know, we had a few clients that we were still working on. So still, you know, still generating some revenue. But early in 2009, I had the painful experience of having to to lay off basically half of the company. Um, we just couldn't keep them on. We kept maybe one or two on part time just to just to float things a little bit. But me and my partners. So at that point, when after I acquired the the company back in two thousand eight, I brought on two two people as as partners in you know to various um, degrees, and um, we just made the decision that you know what we've got some paying customers right now. We're, it, there's no reason to fold the company over over this because it's not it's not to that degree. But our smartest thing is to wait this out. And, and we knew who our competition was. Um, a lot of them were our neighbors and, you know, in, we're, I'm located in the Washington DC area. So we were pretty locally, locally driven at that point. Um, even though some of our clients were national, our, our competition was fairly local. We knew who they were. We knew who they hired. We, you know, we just kind of kept our ears to the ground and sure enough, a number of them folded and, um, and the ones that didn't fold shrunk and, and, you know, we as any as any entrepreneur would do, we we got some of their clients uh, when we needed to hire again because we were getting busier. We hired some of their employees that were either laid off or or their hours were cut or whatever. So we just you know our our strategy was just let's lay low and try to conserve cash. I mean we stopped paying ourselves, but but just enough to get by. And sure enough, by the end of two thousand nine, I mean we tripled in size. I mean we were you know, we were nine people at the beginning of the year, we ended up being about 25 people um, by the end of the year, just because, you know, after after the summer, we kind of got through that, all of a sudden, the phone started ringing, we were not the only game in town, but we were we were a significant presence compared to some of those that folded or were just kind of dying. And um, yeah, we just we, we had a we ended up having a good year out of what started out terribly. It, it seems like a key aspect of you being able to come back was, was that ability to quickly expand and acquire the talent. Because just because you have work doesn't mean you can do it. Like right. you, you have to have the people. So it seems like you were able to get that phone call and then quickly get these other people on board and, and, and respond to the market, right? Yeah. And that's where I think the, just like I, I learned early on as far as the value of a, of a network, I never stopped <laughs> embracing that. And I mean, that's honestly, that is, that's the key to, you know, any, any success that I can claim is um, based on the the power of just knowing great people that are either willing to help or that I can reach out to and, and ask for, for ask questions or that there's some, 
you know, a referral from a friend, colleague, all of those kinds of things. We were able to to find really good people really quickly because of because of that network. And I think, um, you know, I and I've I've learned it. It's certainly not a one way thing as well. I mean, I did plenty of favors for uh, people in my network during that time, and you know, it's always it. It's always about you don't you don't ask what you're going to get back. You just you help, and and then you know, sure enough, when you need help, it's going to come from someone. It may not even be the same person that you helped, but you know, I just I try to fill my network with with a lot of people that are willing to both help and and receive help, and and we all kind of we all kind of get by. And I think that that mentality and that philosophy is you know not only got us through that, but any other dips or or challenges along the way since. Yeah, I think a lot of people overlook the the value of of having friends because when, when you're when you're down and out or when you need help, you know, having someone who's there for you can make make all the difference. And I've had that happen to me, where a friend opened a door when when I was down and out, and that allowed me to rebuild. So it's not just like an, as an entrepreneur, it's like I'm just such you know I'm such a badass that I, I'll stand on my own too. No. No, it's like I have I have a lot of people who love me, and um, if when I do miss, you know, when I'm swinging and I'm out, it, they'll, they'll they'll go, okay, well, you know, here's a pitch, here's another pitch, here, you can swing at this one, I'll throw yeah. it slow. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, that's yeah, I think it's and and that that willingness to to give when what when whenever and whatever you can as well to them. I mean, I think that's it's that reciprocal that reciprocal part of it, and and you know, you can you can tell the people that are just doing something so they can get something back. And, and those people, you know, sometimes it's worth doing that, but the real, the real valuable people are the ones that, you know what, if you need something, they're there for you and, and, and vice versa. And it's not about, well, you did this for me. So, um, so I need something now. It's, it's just, it's about timing and it's about um, willingness, willingness to do that. And I mean, the other part I, I would say that goes, that goes along with it too, is just, building that, that brand or that personal brand, even that people know what is a good recommendation and fit and everything like that. And I I did take that very, very seriously early on as well is just trying to carve out a niche where um, there's a million different things that, that might be helpful, but for people to really understand what is valuable and where you can play a valuable role I think that's also so key as well, and and we really tried to to carve that out for ourselves with the with the with Carousel Thirty, the agency, as well as I always tried to do that for myself. And I would say I I'm, I feel like I'm getting better at it the older I get, just because I'm I'm getting a little more perspective, maybe. But um, you know, it's I think it's always something valuable to 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 try to do and and to just try to figure out. Okay, well, yes, you're a you know you're an accountant by by trade, but what is it that you're really looking for? like what's your mission in life? It's not your mission in life. Isn't the role that you're playing and, and the job that you're doing. It's gotta be about something a little bit bigger. Yeah. I mean, you, you didn't go to college going, man, I really want to count beans for a living. I love T's and zeros on the bottom, baby. That's what, that's my life. You know, that's not what they're doing. And I agree with you because when I help people out, rather it be just flat out help, I'm just going to give them my time and, and, give them whatever they need, or I'm helping them out because they're going to pay me money to do something. What I always try to understand is what they're trying to achieve yeah. because it's whatever job that you're doing for them is a job that a lot of other people can do. And, and, and there's a reason that they're doing it. And, and normally that's, they're going after something. 
And understanding what they're going after is, is so important because then you can truly try to help them beyond just the widget that they, you know, can you make this widget? Yeah, I can make that widget. You know, give me 10 minutes. I'll make you the widget. Yeah. It's like, well, what, what are you trying to do with that widget? Where, where, where's that widget taking you, you know, in, in your perception? And, and then you can go, okay, well, here's, here's some stuff I can really do for you that will get you to where you want to go. And it could be this widget and three other widgets or a completely different widget. But once you, once you care enough about people, and what they're trying to do, you can start offering them the type of help that can that can truly help them and, and gets that level of appreciation um, that that is always reciprocal. Even if you don't need it, I've helped people that never helped me back, yeah. and I, and you don't expect it. It's just like, look, I like you. You're a good dude. Um, you're trying to do something. I understand it. I've got a skill set that can really help you. And by the way, here's two or three other things we could do to to get you going. And you know. And then they get up and they start becoming successful. You high five, you give them a hug. All right, man. And then you go off on your way, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you never, you never know what that's going to do. I mean, I, yeah, to not to get too like karmic and, and whatever about this, but yeah. I mean, I, I just, I strongly believe in that. And, you know, it could be that you do something and nothing ever um, specifically comes from it, or you could do that, uh, do something like that. And, you know what that person recommends you to somebody else that you never know about. And I think it's just, it's good. Uh, it's just good energy to put out there in the, in the world to just be able to do that and, and not to, you know, you gotta be careful because there's lots of people that need a lot of help, but um, you know, I think to be careful about what you do and, and to exactly what you were saying is make sure you really understand what it is and, and the, that you philosophically align with it as well. Cause then you'll not only do a better job, but feel better about doing it in the first place. But yeah, if you, if you, if you go into something expecting a return, it, that's going to come out in, in your, in your execution. And when it's, when dollars are exchanged for it, that's just, that's the way it is. And that should be expected. And, and then that's a whole different transaction. But when you're doing something out of goodwill, um, you know, expecting something in return, that's not that's not really what it's about. Yeah. And even when you're doing it with with dollars, I think that the the do, the dollars is something that has to happen. Obviously, your time is valuable and, and it's worth what, whatever amount that you're charging and, and probably more. Most people don't you know, undercharge tremendously for what they do. But um, even if even if that's there, that intent to help. I'll, I'll tell you what I went to um, just a couple little while ago and I'm in New York. And so there's home there's you know, there's some homelessness here and especially now. And I have a, I have a weak spot for homeless people. I've got this policy, which I don't follow now because I don't go out, but every day I would give $5 to homeless people. And that was my thing. Every day, five of my dollars were going to go to either one homeless people or five homeless people, just whatever. It's just what I did. Some of them know it. So they line up and they see me coming. They're like, I have you given your $5 today? <laughs> like it's, it's, it's a little bit known in the area that I, that I walk in and and so we went to a to a place, and I saw three or four homeless people. And so I was going to go get some McDonald's because I hate my my health. And <laughs> when I went in there, I bought seven or eight cheeseburgers, and figured I'd just you know they're they're cheap as hell. You know, I buy some cheeseburger, give some homeless people that we saw on the way, and and uh, you know they get they get a little bit of food. I'm sure they they need it more than more than I do. Plus, I can afford my cheeseburger anyway. So I go out and I give the cheeseburger to this to this one one particular homeless person, and he looks up at me and says he doesn't eat cheese. Um, yeah, and I, and <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And, and I politely explained to him that, you know, you could, you know, if you're hungry, you could scrape off the cheese, but if you don't want it, that's fine. And he's like, yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm not, I'm not going to scrape the cheese off. And I'm like, okay, great. You know, have a great day. And I, I get in my car and, and we take off. 
And my wife looks at me and goes, you know, isn't that rude? And I said, well, look, see, the, the misperception that people have is they think that I'm giving to I'm giving because the homeless people want it or will receive it. And, and that's where I think a lot of people get mixed up. I'm giving to them because that is the type of person that I am. And that's where people sometimes have a hard time understanding. It's like, well, I need to give to get back. And it's like, no, I give because I want to be the type of person that gives. I help people because I want to say I am the type of person that helps people. I want to be that type of person. I want to be known as that type of person. And that makes me feel comfortable with who I am as a person. And so in a way it is selfish, but it's great because everybody around you benefits because that is the type of human you want to be. So again, not getting karmic or too wooey on this, but I think that a, a lot of young people, I think you get this when you get older. And I think you hit it on the head when you said, maybe, maybe it's because I'm getting older. And the same things happened to me as I've gotten older, I've realized it's more about who I want to be yeah. than it is what I'm doing. That what I'm doing is just a product of, of who I want to be as, as a human, because I got to wash my face in the morning and I got to look at myself in the mirror. Yeah. And, you know, that can't be rough or else it's a bad life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, no, I def definitely agree with that sentiment. Yeah. So go going back on the business, on the business side. So you, you went from 10 employees, 2009 hit. So you, in 2008, you acquired this company. Now you were going from a whole bunch of contractors to having 10 people who you are personally responsible of feeding because you're the owner of the company. You're the one who has to make sure this thing runs right. 2009 hits, you have to let go of half of them. So you're sitting in your office, bringing them in and telling them, okay, from here on out, there are no more paychecks. How did you deal with that? I will say not very well. Um, it's not the, it's not the first time I've had to let people go, but it's the, I will say it's the only time that I've laid people off in that, you know, like a, a, a admittedly it was only five people, but for, for us, it was a mass layoff because it was 50% of our, of our workforce there. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, we just, we stayed up trying to crunch the numbers to see, could we keep one extra person? Could we, you know, this is the first time I've ever, I ever actually fired someone in my, or, you know, let someone go in my career. So, you know, I'd, I'd managed people before and, and stuff like that at the, at the startup, but never actually had to let someone go. So, um, yeah, it was, I, I struggled with it again, tried to, tried to find ways to, uh, in fact, I think we did. We were able to to keep one additional person simply by paying ourselves less. The three, uh, you know, the the three partners at at that time. But, um, but yeah, it was it it was it was not easy. I mean, you know, I think we we tried to be fair. We didn't have we couldn't give people three months severance. We were tiny, you know, tiny company. I mean, ten company of ten people, like small company, we didn't have a lot of cash reserves. So we did as much as we could as far as a, a severance goes, but really, and you know, we tried to, I made phone calls to try to make recommendations, but nobody was hiring in early 2009. So, you know, it's really, we, we kind of sent people out and, um, you know, everybody landed on their feet eventually, but I, I'm sure several of them struggled for, for a bit and just, you know, not much we could do. So yeah, it was, it was gut wrenching. And I mean, you know, I say that as somebody that kept their job, so I can only imagine what it's like, what it was like for them. Uh, because I, I will say, and I, we didn't give them enough 
notice and enough heads up that this was coming. And I will say that's, I've tried to be in, you know, since then more transparent to to an extent about what's going on and, you know, ups and downs and stuff like that. Just so in case I ever did have to lay people off again, I mean, fortunately I didn't have to, but in case I ever did, I wanted, I didn't want to feel surprised like, like they, they must have. And, you know, like I did when I was, when I was at the startup, I, like I said, I, I knew overall the economy was, was tanking at the startup, but I didn't know that we were in a position that I was going to get laid off, you know, the next Monday, for instance. Yeah. 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 And, and as when you went through w- with all five of them and, and had to lay them off, I, I know that's a traumatic experience because, because uh, I've been through something similar. What, what did that change about you? I mean, you, you're starting up a new business and, and we'll get into that because that's the next milestone of, of where you are. But what did that change in you, the way that you saw business, the way that you built businesses? Because I know it changed a heck of a lot in me. What, what changed in you going through that experience? Well, the stakes became much more real. I mean, you know, I'd, I'd come from uh, essentially the company up to that point was I was still thinking in terms of a freelancer. And, you know, as a freelancer, there's good months and there's bad months. And, you know, so when I was completely solo, I mean, there was a month where, you know, I made... A, a considerable amount of money, you know, compared to the last, but you know, that, that big up and down spike, um, didn't really matter. It was all, it was all me. And and so if I, if I failed one month and made it up the next, it didn't really matter. Cause you know, I could, I could eat less <laughs> McDonald's one month or maybe more McDonald's <laughs> as the case may be, but, um, you know, one month over the other and, um, and kind of make up for it. But what it really, what it really solidified for me is that the the stakes are really real. I mean, someone having uh, being able to pay their rent on their on their apartment or mortgage on their house, or um, you know, being able to get food, keep food on the table, and and stuff like that. It was up to it was my responsibility, you know, as the leader of the organization, and you know, I had the two partners as well. But as the leader of the organization, it was my responsibility to make sure that that kind of continuity happened. And it wasn't just a matter of, okay, well, we're going to have a good month and then a bad month. Uh, you know, we were fortunate before that to just have enough money coming in and, and everything that it kind of all evened out. I'm sure an accountant, a, a CPA would have looked at our books more carefully and said that it was crazy. And how in the world are you guys in business? But me being <laughs> a designer and a photographer by, by, you know, training, I, you know, we didn't understand those things. So, you know, it's, when the stakes got real, we took the financials a lot more seriously. We started projecting out. We started doing all kinds of things. And granted, the projections were pretty crappy in the in the first part of 2009. But we started building systems and processes and and all those kinds of things where um, so that it would never happen again. I mean, that was the agreement, um, you know, with my part. I and I mean, uh, I ended up actually buying those two partners out. Uh, about four years later, um, actually maybe a little, yeah, about four years later, actually. So I, when I sold the company several years back later, um, it was just me owning it again, but me and my partners, I will say, you know, there was there, we agreed and disagreed on many things, but one of the things we definitely agreed on was we never wanted to lay people off again. I mean, firing someone because of performance or, or something like that, that's a whole different thing, but we did not want to get to a point where we had to say, we can't pay you anymore. We would like to, to keep you, but we can't pay you anymore because essentially we screwed up. 
we didn't plan correctly or, or something like that. Yeah. It, yeah. That's, that's, that's a deep thing that a lot of people don't get to go through. And, and, and that's an experience that will definitely get you taking certain things more seriously. And so you, you moved on from there and, and you sold, how long ago did you, did you sell the company? So it was late uh, 2017. So about almost, almost exactly three years ago. Okay. And good, good exit made, made a, made a little bank in the, in the sale. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I did well. I mean, so I, after, so after 2009, we, we, me and my partners, um, stayed intact as, as that current kind of iteration for about five years. And then in 2014, I ended up buying both of them out. So I, I became the sole owner of the company. And at that point, my, my goal was to sell the, the agency. And so to build, build a company that was profitable enough and really just build it around the profile of a company that, that would sell and, and sell successfully. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with what I was able to do from, from that standpoint. We had, um, we had some record sales years in the, in the years where I was the, uh, the, the sole owner and yeah, sold it to a, to an, another agency that did kind of a roll up. So they bought four companies over the course of about a year and a half, which that's, that's a whole other, um, set of experiences as well, but no, really, really good people, but just, you know, did, did a lot all at once, which, uh, you know, they're, they're still, they're still trucking along and, and doing well. But, um, you know, I, I learned about, um, some of the, the, the difficulties of, of trying to incorporate so many different companies and company cultures so quickly. So, you know, there was, there was a bit of a struggle there, you know, from time to time, but I was, I was always proud that my team always had the best, uh, we had the best time adjusting and, um, into that new environment. But yeah, I, I stayed there a little over a year, year and a half, um, just to kind of see the transition through. And then, um, then I went my way, just, that was kind of part of the plan, um, that I, that I would do that. And then, you know, just kind of got, got back into consulting and, and freelancing there for a little while before, uh, before starting the, 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 re, the, the current thing. And so again, as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, uh, Greg is sick. <laughs> He's an entrepreneur. So, so you're, you work that out. Yeah. Like, so it's one of those things. So where they bought your company, you had to agree to stay on it for a certain amount of time. And then after that you, you part ways, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. And that, that's typical. We, I've, I've seen that happen before. I've been offered that before. And, um, now, now you're sitting there, you're doing freelancing and then you've decided that you want to, you want to venture on to a new thing. And the new thing is what you're currently doing, which is, which is in, in a nutshell, being a facilitating companies to be able to expand with 1099s and also giving them a sense of security because these 1099s have some level of vetting, not, not when you, and when I say vetting, it's not like, Hey, you know, this guy did my, my Photoshop, here's five stars, but actual, you know, looking at references and, and looking at work. So the first question I have is what made you decide that the market needed this? So what did you see where you're like, okay, this is what the market needs? Yeah. So, you know, in that, in that time, right after, right after I sold my agency and, le and left the, the, the purchasing agency, um, I got a lot more into really trying to understand the, the workforce and employee experience and, and, and things and really kind of saw the, just this, this pretty massive growth in 
what started out, you know, in 2009, I mean, one of the other thing, interesting things that happened during that financial crisis was the birth of what we now call the gig economy. So, you know, Uber, Lyft, Instacart, DoorDash, all, all of those kinds of places, it it really started out as a lot of people trying to pick up work that were out of work from, um, you know, from that financial crisis. And, and it started out with those types of jobs and, and work. What we're seeing with the current global pandemic is that mentality and that that thinking has expanded to what I will call the the more the knowledge workers, the more highly skilled workers and and workforce of all of a sudden we've got a lot of people that are furloughed, laid off, and again, much like whether you know if you go back to two thousand one, two thousand two, if you go back to two thousand nine. People have stable jobs. All of a sudden, overnight, something happens, some external force happens. There's a financial crisis. They're out of work. They joined a company. They got a full-time job because they thought it provided them stability and security. And all of a sudden, overnight, they get laid off. And so where is the stability and security in that? And so we have all of these highly skilled people that are looking for work. And just like I you know, thought to myself back in 2001, 2002, I don't want to go back to another place that's just going to bring me on until something, you know, until they have an excuse to let me go or they have to let me go or, or something like that. So we've got all these people looking for, for work that are, you know, have these great skills. And that's what um, really drove us to say, okay, well, there, there are, there are platforms out there that you can go to and you can get work. I would say some of them are really good for certain types of, of work. You know, this is everything from Upwork to Fiverr to um, there's, you know, there's a, there's a boatload of these platforms, but the, the big problem, which you touched on is if you find someone that you like on there, then that's really great. But getting to find, getting to that point where you find someone that's good is really, really difficult because the methods in place are, are just, they're kind of broken. And so you know, you mentioned the five-star rating system. I think systems like that can easily be gamed. Um, as soon as you get a bad rating, you you close your profile and start a new one. That's that's an easy way to get around, um, you know, doing a bad job for several people. Um, I think resumes in general and, and social profiles are broken because I'll say like my LinkedIn profile, for instance, um, I'm very proud of my LinkedIn profile, but it is exactly what I want you to see about my experience, not anything negative or anything that I don't want you to see. I don't have a lot to hide. I'm pretty much sharing it all here today, but um, but it's still it's still true that our resumes say what we want people to, to hear about us. The references that we give when we try to get a job, I mean, who are you going to give as a reference? Someone that is going to say great things about you or someone that fired you and and because you did a, a poor job, you're going to give the, the, the people that give you good references. And so we need to build a better history and, and record of work that is accurate, fair to everyone involved, not, not negative, but that is, that is accurate and really reflects someone's true experience and, and history. And, um, and stuff like that. And so, you know, that's what we're trying to build with with career gig is you don't have to show the negative stuff about you, but what you show, we are going to verify through not just taking your word for it or not just taking your friend or your mother's word for it, but actually going and, and verifying and, and doing this third party third party verification. And when we do that, we're going to build a better history of work. It's going to be more valuable. And so people can take you more 
at your word when you show them, you know, show them what you've done. And we're also going to have a better way to match you with what you're truly qualified to do. And I think when that happens, companies trust it more and they know on day one, you're going to be more qualified. You're going to be able to be more productive. It's a, it's a win-win for all involved. And I think, you know, we're, we're building that model, whereas a lot of other models are built, they're, they're built with the wrong incentive. So, you know, some of these platforms, they're incentivized to just create a big network and have a lot of subscribers we don't charge subscription fees. So we don't care, you know, we want a lot of good people on the platform, but we don't care if we have 1 million or 20 million people on the platform. If those 1 million people on the platform are really, really good at what they do, we'd much prefer that than, than simply volume. Yeah. So, so basically you're trying to create a qualified workforce. Yeah. That, that people can can rely on when they're doing contracting and and I think that that you're right contracting is a is a very interesting world because you have good ones and you have bad ones and and it's very hard to to find which ones are good and bad and as you mentioned you know the social profiles are that their best foot forward and one thing that I've experienced or, or seen is that they don't tend to really do a lot of background checks when it comes to a contractor, even if it's a part-time gig, a full-time gig for a part-time, you know, job, basically. So you're going to come in for a project, you're going to work for us for three months, and then we're going to let you go. And they all are in agreement. I see that a lot of people don't do any due diligence on those people that they're bringing in. And so what you're offering them is, hey, you know, here's a whole bunch of people that may have the skill sets that you need. By the way, we've already done the due diligence. So we know that you don't do it, but we've done it already. Yeah. And I think the, the, the big reason for that is a lot of times the, these shorter term and project-based positions, they're just in a hurry to fill them. And, you know, when you have a full-time salary position, sometimes there's not as much of a hurry. Sometimes there is, but, you know, and then you work with a staffing company or something like that to try to fill it more, more expeditiously. But, um, you know, for a lot of these, these short-term and, and, uh, contract positions, they're in a hurry to fill them. And so, yeah, they don't, they don't have time to do full background checks and, and vet, you know, quite as thoroughly as someone that they're planning on hiring for, you know, for five years and and growing as part of the team of the, um, of the company. And yet, you know, it's, it's as critical, um, to do it for these shorter term things. Cause uh, you know, the positions that we're placing and, and looking for, they're not $50, you know, design a logo or, or write a blog post for 50 bucks or, or whatever. You know, these are these are pretty high level positions that we're looking for. And so it's a pretty big investment from the from the company um, of not only dollars, but but time. And a lot of times these people are part of a team. And so they need to be able to perform as part of a team. And so there's a lot of things that, that they should be looking for. And yet, yeah, to your point, it's 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 contract work has, has previously been thought of as more, okay, well, let's just get somebody in here and, and do something very tactical and, and siloed. And then, and then they're out. I think the, the, the mentality, and a lot of this is, is born by the, the economic place that we're in right now, but I, I don't see this changing completely back is the, the percentage of the workforce of, full-time salary versus contractor is going to continue to shift in the favor of more freelancers and contract work, um, even for long established companies. 
Um, there's definitely benefits to having full-time employees and that's never, you know, that's never really going to change to there's, you know, that there would be no full-time um, employees, but there's a lot of benefits to having really good contractors in, you know, if you have shorter term needs or very, very specific needs, you may not need a full-time person playing that role, but man, when you need that, you really need it. And so having, having a flexible, I mean, we, we call our, um, what we're building, the verified on-demand workforce, which is, you know, these are people that are highly vetted, highly skilled, but they're on-demand by choice. I mean, when you need them, they're there, um, but they're not drawing a full-time salary. They're not taking up a, a desk if if desks are still going to exist when we're done with this, but um, but they're there. And, you know, that, I think that's the, uh, and, and they're not going to get a full-time gig somewhere else. And so they're not going to be off the market either. And I think that's the other important thing. Yeah, I I think that's interesting because you know I've I did a lot of consulting in in my day and one of the great things is I I did consulting in the same space where IBM does consulting. The reason I like that is because IBM charges you an arm and a leg, which means I can charge you at least a leg. Right. So, right. <laughs> so that 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 area or that gray area, I think, is where your product is, or not your product service or your portal is, is so good because they'll go out and they'll they'll look for somebody who's an expert in, in XYZ thing. And and so you'll shake the trees throughout your network. Do you know somebody that knows somebody that's really good? And some of these projects are major projects that they need great people for, but they don't necessarily have the funds to go to PricewaterhouseCoopers and, or IBM or, or, or pick your big consultancy firm. And get someone that's fully vetted that has the support of a company of that size because they're going to charge you an arm and a leg and all you have left is a leg. Right. So you go into this to this contractor market where a lot of people are happy because, you know, the IBM's paying the guy $75 an hour while he's there charging you 450 you know, and, and the guy that's getting billed that knows that. So he he there are a certain segment of consultants that are actually quite qualified that decided that, hey, you know what? I'm not going to play this game. I'd rather just build a client 200 or 150 and uh, and be done with it. You know, and I get IBM out and I make more money. And if I don't work full time, I'm still ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the 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 thing with those consultants as well is they're not necessarily uh, sales people and, and marketing people. Right. So I think that's where, you know, having a platform that exposes them to great opportunities means that they don't have to go out and pound the pavement and, you know, try to drum up business and have a, you know, advertising and social media marketing content driven campaign in order to get new work. It's okay. I'm on a platform that where I'm, I'm well regarded. You can see my skills. I mean, we have, you know, career gig, we have a, a badging and, and verification platform where, uh, you know, someone can easily see what your skills are and how you've been verified that you have those skills. And, you know, it does some of the selling part. Cause I think that's the, you know, as a, I, I come from that marketing background. And so some of the stuff kind of came naturally to me, which is why I did fairly well as a, as a freelancer. Not everybody has that. They're just, they're really, really good at what they do but they're not the kind of person that's a shameless self-promoter like maybe I am sometimes and, and all that. They're just they're just really good at what they do. And yet they don't, you know, to what you were saying, they, they don't want that full-time job anymore. And so I think that's where platforms and, and other things like that, like ours, are, are really beneficial to them. 
Yeah, that's great. I, I, I think that's a, that's a wonderful thing. And if, if it could go and expand more and more into the tech industry, because that's, I have a background working for tech and, and tech and engineering actually has, has a very high demand of, of temporary contract work. But if you can know that an engineer is good, or if you can know somebody actually, you know, if you're looking for an SAP consultant and you have a portal that will validate the skills of those people, that that's an incredible tool to have as, as a company, when you're looking to save some money or, or you don't have the money to be able to bring in a, you know, call SAP or call IBM and, and bring the, the consultant for the software package in or, or Worley Parsons and bring in an engineer from them. So, so I think it's really interesting that you have that platform. And I remember before you, you were talking to me a little bit about the, the fact that there is a way if they, if they work enough hours through your platform, um, they can actually get coverage for health insurance. Yeah. So that's, that was on the, on the freelancer and, and contractor side of the equation. I mean, that was one of the big gaps that we saw in the marketplace was, um, you know, we obviously want to provide great job opportunity or contract opportunities and, 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 uh, freelance opportunities. But the big gap is, okay, well, I had a full-time job. I had health, life, disability, all of those th- retirement, all of those things just kind of taken care of that. You don't, you don't really have to think about that stuff when you have a full-time job. When you go into the the 1099 and the and the contract world, all of a sudden you're paying your own health insurance and you're paying your own you know life and and all of these things. All of that that safety net kind of stuff is all of a sudden your responsibility solely. So, um, you know, there certainly are some other some other ways to get some of these products. I mean, you know. Here in the U.S., you can go through the the ACA exchanges, Obamacare exchanges, and get some health insurance. I would say, depending on where you live and and your the the details of of your your personal life, sometimes that's a great fit. Sometimes it's not so good. And really, those are those are built as kind of a catch all for everyone that might qualify. Um, what we've done is really build a suite of benefits that. Um, appeals to the the our target, which is you know the highly skilled knowledge workers, and so all of our plans are built around people that that have a that sort of um, lifestyle and, and profile, and so it's a it's a really good fit. And so the way that it works is we have three different tiers of benefits. So if you sign up for Career Gig, you can get access to some things that um, we purely provide discounts on those on those benefits and have negotiated some. Some interesting things. I mean, this is everything from legal, uh, you know, prepaid legal services to pet insurance, and you know, kind of a lot of things in between. That the second tier are people that are a little more active on the platform, working up to you know up to about fifteen hours a week or so, um, and you can get access to some things like life insurance and and uh, some uh, hospital insurance and, and things like that. Um, those that work consistently, so about 20 hours a week or more, or 80 hours a month on average, um, they can get access to guaranteed issue health, life, disability, and a few other things that, again, good luck trying to get some of that as a, as a freelancer um, outside, of a, a, outside of our platform. Other than health insurance through, through ACA, those other things simply don't exist for, for independence. And so... Um, not only have we negotiated affordable affordable rates with the carriers, but we actually contribute a portion of our fees into your premiums if you if you sign up for them through us. 
we also allow the companies that that hire uh, freelancers through our platform to contribute as much or as little. We we take at least a, a small portion, no matter what. But they can actually contribute more into their contractors' um, insurance premiums. Therefore, taking you know taking giving giving more benefits to their um, to their freelancers. And so you know this really kind of closes the gap on some, on the the difference between being a full-time employee and a and a freelancer and you know so you get all the flexibility of of being a 1099 working for as many or as few companies as you want and uh as well as getting that that security of um you know what if you weren't able to work for 6 months or um you know god forbid what you know something happens to you and you need life insurance and, and stuff like that so that's um you know, that I, that was one of the biggest gaps that we really saw. And it was one of those things where honestly, we were thinking, why doesn't this exist already? And, you know, <laughs> sure enough, we learned, we learned quickly enough that, you know, insurance regulation um, is, is a, is a fun industry. And, you know, we brought in the experts and, and partners that, you know, that, that absolutely get it and, and really were able to find a, a really unique, we're available in 50 States um, we're able to, to handle, you know, pretty much anything that you might need. But yes, there was there was a considerable barrier to entry from a regulatory and compliance standpoint, but we were able to, to get through all that stuff and, and are proud to be able to offer it. Yeah, no, that's great. That, that's one thing when, when my friends and I talk and we talk about regulations, like the average everyday people do not understand how bad regulation actually is and how much it costs right, right. <laughs> and how difficult it makes doing basic things sometimes. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interest. To, and, you know, it's it's employment. I mean, as with anything, but employment regula- regulation and stuff like that, I mean, constantly evolving. And, um, you know, so it's one of those things where we're, you know, we're there's there's. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting things going on in the country right now in regards to um, contractors versus employees and everything like that. And we're just we're trying to stay one step ahead and and always, you know, looking out for we look out for both sides. I mean, we're looking out for companies to make it easier for them to to grow and stay flexible in this economy. But at the same time, we're looking out for the individuals that need to have that security and stability. And I think we've found a win win. So what if, let, let's say, for example, there, there are companies out there that have these um, larger contracts with uh, third party uh, companies that will provide them bodies to, to be able to do the work. And so what, what would you be able to do for those companies? So if, is there a, could you go on your platform and just kind of cut out a big piece of that, of that middleman? Because there are heavy fees on, on top of people who are pri- providing you contractors on a consistent basis. So what kind, is there a financial benefit of, of using your platform instead of going the traditional way where you go, okay, this is my, you know, my recruiting agency. They're going to bring in 1090, whatever. It's their problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, absolutely. I mean, that plus 30 or 40% or whatever it is per month to, to them. Yeah. I mean, so we're, we're definitely a, a, a cost effective alternative to the, the typical staffing and recruiting agency. Um, so much so, to be honest, that, um, we have several staffing and recruiting agencies that work through us actually to find and, and vet individuals before they then pass them to their end clients. So, I mean, we we actually work with both. And so, you know, there's there's a considerable amount of time and, and effort spent. And, you know, I would say the other thing, um, us versus a, a more traditional staffing company is when you work with them, typically you're only going to see a few resumes and, and that's done in a good way. It's done because, uh, you know, if, if a staffing company sent you, uh, you know, a stack of 
500 um, pieces of paper to look through resumes, um, it might be overwhelming, but we take a different approach of we give access to our, to our database, to our, to our, um, you know, to our company subscribers, and you can look through everybody. You can see all of the people that are qualified and, and really vet them and make sure there might be something that you see in, in someone's profile that maybe a, a, a recruiter might not see. And um, in addition to that, we work with companies to create custom profiles. And, and so we can work to very exacting standards. So it could be, you know, we're here just outside DC. So it could be top security clearance in the federal government. It could be um, that you need a, a special technical certification, like, you know, being a Microsoft network certified uh, person. It could be in the healthcare space. You're a, you need to be a nurse that's accredited in a single state um, that they need you to work in. So all across those things, in addition to criminal background checks and education checks, work experience, um, all reference checks, all of those kinds of um, all of those kinds of things. And so we can we can do that. We even have a recruiting team, a, a manual. You know, these are real people as well that will go out and search for people. In addition to, if you can't find them on our platform, we'll help you with that, and and all really at the same cost um, of just using the platform. So we're we're a very very flexible alternative. So, so basically you, you've done most of the time and, and I know it's not the way it's supposed to work, but let's just say that this is usually what happens. So most of the time they get, they, you know, you get an email saying, Hey, I have this job, you know, please send me your resume. <laughs> and so you, you decide whether you want to interact with that person or not. And you, you send them their, your resume. And then, you know, you, you start haggling about rate before anybody knows what the job that needs to be done is. And, and then if you, you know, if they have enough profit margin, they'll decide they're going to shove your resume in front of the person or not. And they've done no validation whatsoever. You know, they haven't called one of your references. They, 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 they don't, as far as they know, you could have put them, I could have sent them your resume right? right. <laughs> and, and, and they're going to look at the credentials and that's going to get in front of the, the end client before they even know that I just removed Greg and put Perry on the piece of paper. And I'm going to be set up for an interview and I'm going to sit there and waste that manager's time. And this is done, but you know, I mean, you, I don't know, you're in the space, you know, this is done. This is done. People will send resumes of other people to be able to get the interview. And sometimes in the interview, they can't vet them well enough, but then they find out later that, Hey, this guy thinks Java is coffee. <laughs> right. Um, right. You know, and it happens. The, well, these switcheroos happen. Yeah. It's um. I mean, there's a stat floating around the internet there. 75% of resumes have at least one factual inaccuracy, which is either intentional or unintentional. So, you know, and that's at least one. So um, yeah, the resume, I, I believe, you know, the resume is broken. It's a, it, it worked for a time. Um, I don't think it works. I don't think, social media profiles are an accurate way to judge someone's work history either. You know, these are all ways that someone can say as much or as little, they can be as, as accurate or inaccurate as they want. And to your point, if you're not really doing the, the background checking and, and, and verification, then, uh, you know, you can get away with it um, quite often. And, uh, and it's, you know, it's only the good uh, part of, of what someone wants to see, even if it is accurate. And so I think that's where, you know, we're, we're building a better, a better history of, of people's work and, and everything like that. It's, it's not to show the bad, it's more just to be accurate and, and be honest and, and truthful because to what you were saying as well, it's going to come out, 
you know, you may get a job and you may get two weeks in and then they're all of a sudden like, yeah, I asked for Java this and, and I got a cup of coffee on my desk. You know, it's going to come out. And I think it's a matter of let's let's all just be a little more transparent about what is actually happening and what's, um, you know, what has not happened. And everybody wins in that scenario. So so if I go in and I'm I'm that company, right? So I, I, I get and I've interviewed these people before and, and I've been on the other side and been sent. You know, actually, I had a client that got my resume sent to them and they called me up and asked me. If I was, if I was going to start entering the workforce again, instead of having my company, I'm like, what do you mean? Because, well, I just got your resume. I mean, it didn't have my name on it, but it was literally, they knew me. Yeah. So they said, I read it. This is obviously you. And I'm like, well, if you have a job opening, I haven't applied for it because I have a contract with you and I'm billing you plenty of money. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you want to add that to my contract that I have with you, we're good to go, but I didn't send you my resume. So if I'm that if I'm that guy and I'm sitting down and I'm opening up your portal and I'm looking for people, the people that I'm looking at on your portal, I will know for a fact that you have at least validated their references, that you have done some level of checking and vetting. So before I even waste my time talking to them, I have some level of assurance that the specific skill set they say they have, they actually possess. Yeah. So the way the way we do this is we have uh, our reputation platform on our on our site so you can sign up um it's free to sign up and you can build a profile and 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 everything like that then the next step is you get verified and so it's easy it's very easy to see the people that are still in that first step of they just signed up and they just um you know they just got onto the platform once they start um once they get a background check and do some skills assessments to um, to show what they're, what they're skilled in and everything like that, they get a check mark on their, on their profile. And so, you know, there, it is possible to look at everybody on the platform and, and see those that are still, you know, in that initial phase, but you can also search through and see, okay, I, I only want to see the people that have been vetted and verified. And that's the typical scenario is, um, you know, the companies um, that want to find those highly skilled people, they're really only going to want to search for the um, the, the verified individuals. And so that's, that's, that's how it's set up. And, and, you know, as we continue to build out the sophistication in our reputation platform, there's going to be more granular types of things that you're going to be able to search for. Um, we actually build custom, um, badges and profiles. So, you know, if, if company a only wants people with certain, um, criteria and credentials, we can set up a, a, a badge or a profile, of that individual. And then we can either, you know, anyone that qualifies for all of those things, all of a sudden they get that badge on their, on their profile and, and company A can search for, okay, I only want to see people that, that have my exacting, you know, standards. And all of a sudden they do a search and, and, and those candidates show up. And, and so if I'm a small company, let's say, cause the, the big companies have the money to throw at these recruiting agencies. And this is a, this is a great option. So that way, you know, a client of mine doesn't call me and tell me that he has my resume sitting from, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. but if I'm, a, if they're a smaller company, cause I, uh, obviously there's value in your, in your, in your proposition across the range. So you've got, you've got a small ad agency like you did, like you had before, like a small, medium sized ad agency. And man, you just need some graphic artists because you need to pump out some art to be able to get this campaign done. You, you landed Coca-Cola because your friend called a friend and they liked you and they just gave you a, 
you know, one of their, a, a, a substantial campaign for. Right. right. I need this guy. He needs our girl. I, and they need to be good. Right. Is it going to cost me my arm, my leg, and my stepchild to sign up to your platform to find these people and hire them? No, I mean, so that's, I mean, that, that's the good news there. I mean, not only is it, is it free for, we don't charge subscription fees to anybody. So um, that's to, to look on the platform and, and to, to find people, it's, it's completely free. You can, you can use it. You can peruse the database. Um, when we start charging is when you hire someone and actually hire them for a gig through the platform. So we charge some transaction fees and um, it's, you know, it's a transaction fees on the company side as well as on the freelancer side. And, it's that those fees are really dependent on how active you are. So, um, you know, if a company is hiring one person per month, then there are higher fees. If they hire a hundred people through the platform, then, um, those transaction fees go down considerably. So that's really, you know, it's, it's really easy. And, and I, they are a fraction of what they would be paying to, uh, you know, a, a staffing agency or, or anything like that. So it's, you know, not only is it free to search and, and find people, but, um, it's, you know, it's, it's less cost once they actually do. In addition to, um, as I mentioned before, um, if you don't find someone on our platform that fits your exact needs, we have a recruiting team that will actually go out and, and manually find those people for you. And so, you know, we actually, it's it in that way, we're a hybrid really, and, and we're the best of both worlds, but we don't charge for those recruiting services. That's just a, a benefit of being on our platform. Yeah, I mean, so when you when you talk about these these uh, these headhunter firms or staffing agencies, I mean, let's 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 be honest. Like, if they if they're charging you thirty percent, they're out of business in the next six six months because you you can't you can't be a recruiting firm and only charge thirty percent on top of what you're you're billing to your client and not go bankrupt. So so you're looking at anywhere between let's say thirty at the minimum is because you got a sweetheart deal, you know the owner and he loves you, and so he's going to give you this sweetheart deal. That so you can at least pay the guy and and not lose money when you fire him and try to bring somebody right. else in that's new, and then you have the 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 higher range which is you know a little bit over hundred percent of of what they're paying the person, right hundred hundred twenty, so where where do you land with that platform? Yeah, so I mean our fees start at ten percent um, for of the of a transaction, and so you know if we're you know if we're talking about thirty percent kind of on the um, you know, 20 to 30% sort of in that, in that range on the staffing company side. I mean, we're already, you know, a half to a third of those, of those fees. Now, I mean, we, you know, there's, there's some additional services that you could, you could elect, a company could elect to do additional background screening and, and things like that. Those, those incur nominal, nominal costs. But I mean, think about the time and, and cost savings, even to the company where, Again, they're not going out and waiting for, uh, you know, waiting for a bunch of candidates to come back. They're mm-hmm. the the profiles are immediately available to them. They're able to search. Um, if for some reason, again, they don't find someone, then we're we're on it. We jump on it and and we recruit and have a vast network of um, of of places that we go to to find great talent. And so we can bring those um, very quickly to. Um, you know, to the platform so they can, they can view them there. So, I mean, it's, you know, it is both a time and a cost savings considerably. 
Yeah, that, that's that's the part that I figured that it would be because when you go through these staffing agents again, the, the low the lowest that I've I've really seen is is a thirty percent. You know, after you know after everything's put in and and what they what they need to take away to be able to to survive and pay their secretaries and yeah. do their marketing and everything else. So so and I and I've seen well well above a hundred percent. I mean, it's that's that's very very normal, especially consultancy firms. Yeah. Um, you know, a consultancy firm that does thirty percent is just bankrupt because I mean, <laughs> if you if you can out if you can get your people occupied 70 percent of the time you are a champion yeah. you know so if you're only charging 30 percent above what you're you know you're, you're dead yeah. before you even started so you you're coming in at the, the lowest range that i've seen is in the 30s and you're coming in at one third of the lowest range with verified candidates yeah yeah and you know it's it's the benefits of being a platform as opposed to all of the overhead and, you know, a lot of manual processes happening and everything. And so, you know, that's, it's one of those things where just to build it and, and to build it at scale and, and, and everything, we're able to just cut those costs. And, you know, so we do have, we do have real people do, you know, doing some of the work, but we have so many automated processes that we're not, you know, we're not manually calling and, and doing a lot of the things where, um, you know, we've, we've found ways to verify, to vet, verify and, and do a lot of that stuff in, in automated fashions or through, you know, third parties and, and everything that just become, um, you know, a very, a very streamlined and, and cost effective way. Oh, that's just absolutely amazing. Well, Greg, I know we're, we're over the hour. Um, so I, I, I you know, I ne- I'm never hard on it, but I, we were having a good conversation there and I was pretty interested at the, at the new thing. Buddy, look, I, I appreciate it. This was great. I'd love to have you on later on in the future, just to not so much talk about the product itself, because I, I was intensely curious about the product, but talk about your journey of creating the product. Yeah, <laughs> you know what absolutely. I mean? I'd love it. So yeah, it was it was absolutely fantastic. I really appreciate your time and, and love talking to you, man. Yeah, no, it was great. Thanks so much for having me. And yeah, just uh, would love to love to continue the conversation. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't think we ever said what your website was. Let's let's throw this in here at the end before <laughs> I end this. Yeah, absolutely. So it's career gig. So uh, careergig.com um, is the website. So we'd love everybody to check it out. I mean, it's free to sign up. Um, so no, no barrier to entry there and, you know, sign up, check it out. And um, if you want to get in touch with me, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So feel free, you know, mention that you heard me on this podcast and uh, reach out. I'd be happy to connect.